Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, season two, helping pilgrims get ready for their first pilgrimage walk on the Camino. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. Hearing people's stories is such a wonderful way to get to know the Camino and to begin to imagine ourselves there. When I hear other people's stories, I often find that I can relate to the struggles that they're having, and I can find some hope that I will also find the same connection and camaraderie that they've found on the Camino. When we hear people's stories, we can also learn from each other, from what worked and maybe what didn't work as we prepare for the Camino. This allows us to prevent some of the most common problems, and it also can help us to find the good stuff on the way. I'm delighted to share with you today in this episode the story of Kathy Gatil from Dallas, Texas, who walked the Camino in September 2022. You may remember that we heard from Kathy last year as she was preparing for her Camino in Season 1, Episode 5. You may want to take a listen to that before you listen to this episode so you can hear the before before we get to the after. In that episode, Kathy shared with us her fears as she got ready to walk the Camino, fears of injury, fears of being alone on the long, lonely stretch of the Meseta. She also shared with us her hopes for her walk and her expectations and belief and faith that this would be a walk with St. James, a walk with the Mother Mary, a walk with Jesus, and of course, a walk with God. How did it go? I'm going to let Kathy tell her story. Hi, this is Nancy with the You on the Camino podcast, and I am absolutely delighted to let you know that I have with me Kathy Gatil, who I interviewed back in, was it July? I believe, I believe so. I, believe- I think it was July. Kathy was preparing for her first Camino on the Camino Frances, and she has completed it. She has arrived in Santiago and returned back home and has agreed to talk with me so we can hear how this went. So all of you who heard Kathy's first interview, the conversation she and I had back in July, can see how this turned out. So Kathy, ah, a one, where, do, where do we even begin? Do you, would you refresh us just so that everybody knows what, what you, where you started and ended and how long you took to do it? Yes. I'm delighted to be back with you. So yes, I started like you, I think you called it, it's public transportation gymnastics or something like that. To get, Sounds about right. <laughs> to get from Dallas, Texas to Madrid, to Pamplona, and then to St. Jean uh, Pied-de-Port, that was um, an airplane ride a taxi ride to a train, a train, and then a taxi all the way up. And it was funny because the taxi driver that took me um, from Pamplona to St. Jean, he must have turned around four different times asking me if I was going to get sick because <laughs> that's quite a ride, let me tell you. And then, yes. you know, not dawning on me, oh, I'll be walking this. <laughs> Which will be easier on the equilibrium, certainly. Yes, yes. But uh, he actually asked if I, should I pull over and let you sit up front, and I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, and I really wasn't like getting sick, but it really was quite the, quite the taxi ride. So I, I started. Uh, so I arrived in Saint John on August 28th, and I was taking the 28th and 29th just to acclimate myself. And then the 30th of August was the day I started climbing the Pyrenees. 
And I was hoping to finish by October 7th to Santiago, but I arrived a, a lot or five days early, actually, which shocked me because I, I really expected me, it, it to take me a lot longer than it did. But okay. yeah, so it was uh, 34 days. I was in Spain, a total of 40 but 34 days of walking. Wow. Okay. So first thing that comes to mind when you look back over that journey, how was it? What was it? It was the hardest thing I have ever done. And it is the best thing I have ever done in my life, in my life for, for a variety of reasons. This really, uh, I think everyone has different reasons for going I really was going from a spiritual perspective, but also knew that components of it would be very physical, emotional, and that all that all played into, into my Camino. The Camino community, there's just nothing like it. I don't, I don't know that you can really e- express how whether you're walking solo like I was, and many people do walk solo, how we have that respect for each other because of the work that we're putting in. We chose to take this hard hike, you know, and we're doing it. And we're there supporting and cheering each other, whether we're going up a steep incline or really having a heck of a time with a descent. You just felt that you know, when the pilgrims were around, you really felt that love, you really felt that camaraderie, that everybody is rooting for everybody else. I think one of the things I was expecting was being concerned, you know, almost 64. I was really concerned how slow I was going to go. Well, I had a pretty good pace. I had a a faster pace than I realized, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it didn't matter how fast you were going. And I guess for, for me, that was really a comfort because I didn't, I didn't feel judged. Hmm. So it was, it was the best thing. It was the hardest thing. And for me, because my primary focus was prayer to spend, you know, over 34 days with God is a gift that I really gave myself because I allowed myself to do this. I, I carved out the time. And I, I really stayed true to my word as far as really wanting that contemplative prayer time while I was walking. So we could probably just stop right there. <laughs> I think you just said it all. That's just 40 days with God or 34 days with God. That's just, wow. Wow. Yeah, I, it's funny because it was like so, someone said, put a title to it. And I said... I, I prayed the way. And that that's really how I felt. I was, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. I felt St. James, I swear he was on my right side. I had my guardian angel working overtime, which I'll tell you, I'll talk about later. You know, on my left side, I felt the blessing of the blessed mother and Jesus walking every step with me. And, you know, I mean, I just get goosebumps really remembering. I loved, love Camino mornings. And I have tried several times to recreate it here. And there, it's, you know, it's like, you have to remember to turn around because as you, as you leave early in the morning, I would try to get out anywhere from an hour to 30 minutes before the sun came up. And, and for a couple of reasons, I didn't want to miss seeing anything. I also, for safety, I didn't really want to be in the dark over an hour. Okay. So, so that was, even though I had a torch on, but the sun rises and, and what it, you know, you're walking West. So you have to turn around to see the sun. And that was something that you know, I would either say to my Camino friends that I was making along the way, turn around, you've got to see this. And I took more shots of sunrise. And, and then there was one day that the moon was just starting to set and it was a full moon. 
and the sun is starting to come up. And I felt like this sandwich between the moon and the sun and the beauty that's around you and the, you know, the, the crisp air and just the sound, I mean, of the clipping of the trekking poles, you know, it was just, I loved the mornings. I, so the senses, the senses, every yes. one of them has to get engaged, right? So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but on every episode of this podcast, I end with a top tip. Oh, which is things like don't rush the start, get to know your expectations, find your walking pace now while you're getting ready rather than when you get there. The top tip for your episode, I don't know if you remember this, was always look behind you. I mean, what are the chances, right? <laughs> Probably was in my little head because yeah. I was saying it constantly. Yeah. And, and what was really cool was I know that the sunrise wasn't missed on a lot of the pilgrims because we would be walking and you'd see pilgrims meters and meters ahead of you, but you would see them turning around and it was like, oh, I might be missing something. What's going on over here? You know? Oh my gosh. I had, I should have, I intentionally didn't listen to the podcast again. So yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you heard the final version because I think I sent it to you before so you could approve it before I put the intro and the and the outro in it. So how's that for a psychic connection? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and you know, it's a practical piece of advice because it prevents you from walking away from a belong an item that you own and leaving it on a bench or on a rock. So every time you get up, you look back and make sure you don't leave anything behind. But you also to look back on the trail and see the beauty of nature, the little show that God puts on, and also to acknowledge how far you've come. Yes. There's this interesting little twist of, I don't know what it is. Do you remember Alto del Perdón with that big metal installation yes, yes, right yes, after Pamplona? It was uh, where the wind? The wind turbines. Oh, the wind turbines. Yeah. yeah. Are you talking about the metal uh, pilgrims? Yeah. It has on there in Spanish something about where the wind meets the stars or something. Yes. So here's the interesting thing is, as soon as you go over the other side of that hill and start your descent, you can't see Pamplona anymore. It's gone. So all that walking that you've just done, you're right. It's gone. You're, you are you are way down the trail by then. And that phenomenon happens every day. You yeah. can't see where you just came from. It's that far away. But at the speed of walking, it's not, it, you haven't gone very far, right? But right. it's such an interesting thing. It messes with my head a little bit. Yes. I know that there were times I had to turn around, especially if it was a major descent, especially mm-hmm. And I had to look back and it was like, okay, I did it. I did, did it. it. Because there were several descents that I've gone back and forth. Did I want to know about that or did I not? And I did a lot of reading and I mm-hmm. was aware of several, but the one from the one from the cross, the iron cross. Yeah, from, into Molina Seca. Fonsebadon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then you go to the cross. And then you go down and then you have another descent. That's the worst of the whole way, in my opinion. I don't know why that's not talked about more truthfully, mm. but mm. I'm really glad I didn't know. I knew it was hard. I had heard it was hard. I was crazy and did the whole thing in one day. Don't do that, people. <laughs> yeah. So let's make sure, let's make sure this is clear for people. So when you're coming out of Leon, you go up, 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 up to the village of Rabinal del Camino, and then you go through Fonsebadon. Yes. And then two kilometers further is the cross of iron, Cruz de Ferro. Yeah. Cruz where you set down figuratively, metaphorically, and literally set down any burdens that you wish to set down. Then you walk a little further, and then the trail nosedives down into El Acebo. And then it goes a little further to Riego de Ambros, and then it nosedives again 
down into Molina Seca, but that stretch from Riego to Molina Seca, the trail condition is horrendous, right? And I, and I will tell you that I cried three times on the Camino. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Um, the first was the second day going down from Orison to Russia. And a lot of that was like relief, but it also was, am I, can I really do this? I mean, just really questioning myself. Yeah. The, the second time was coming down to Molina How did you pronounce it? Molina Seca. It's Molina. a dry mill. Molina Seca. Molina Seca. Okay. And thinking to myself, I mean, I, I actually screamed as loud as I possibly could. I screamed for, and I just bawled and I cried and it was like, Okay, pity party over. Now, how am I going to get down? So I, I think the sound may have cut out again. I think what you were screaming was, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Okay. And I really cried. I really, oh. really cried. And I, there was no one around. And, and then it was like, okay, which boulder or which, you know, how am I going to place my foot? And, you know, it is, it's, to me, it's treacherous. And, mm -hmm. but I did it. And so there's a part of me that's like, I'm kind of glad I wasn't scared away. And I hope I'm not scaring anyone not to do it. The second thing is, I don't know that I would have done the entire, I mean, because each descent took me at least two and a half hours, maybe even three, because I was, you know, as we'll get into, I had already fallen once. I didn't want to fall again. Yeah. So I was extremely cautious. I don't know that other people, it takes them that long. I don't even know how many kilometers that was, but. Yeah. I heard stories. I actually spent some time down the trail from Pomfarada and I heard some stories, some people who, who were actually quite perturbed that nobody had told them about this stretch. I, I really, because, you know, let me see how many books I have on the Camino that I read. And, um, you know, they talk about the descents, but that one in particular really raised the hair on the back of my neck. You know, at the same time, I was exhausted mentally because you have to, you are just concentrating so hard, paying attention to where your, where your foot is, where, how your balance is, your back, your pack, your trekking poles. But I wish I hadn't done them in the same day because at yeah. the end of the day, you're tired. And things hurt. And things hurt. Yeah. You know, I will tell you, maybe the reason it's not in the guidebooks is it hasn't always been that bad. Now, really? I will. Yeah. I have always had a difficult time on that whole descent, that whole stretch. And it's been a while since I've done it, but it, it wasn't like that the last time I went through. So I, I couldn't put a, a date on the map, on the calendar when it changed. So it could just be that the guidebook writers haven't walked that part since it's gotten worse. Well, I have I have planned to to write both of these authors because they update them annually. Mm -hmm. Or at least one of them gets updated annually. And there there were two things I really wanted. One was really talking about several of the descents, because there's another descent that it, it just is, it's not as treacherous. It's just very steep and you really need to watch how you're, it, you know, it's best to try to go sideways versus right. having your knees going over your feet when you're trying yeah. to stop from going down. Then that's towards the end. But the other is I really want pronunciations for each of these towns because none of, everyone I talked to, no one knew how to pronounce a lot of the towns. I'm so impressed you can't. <laughs> Well, you know, I've been practicing for a while, but I love that you said that because I'm going to do an episode next season on pronunciation of the towns on the Camino Frances. And I'm going to start at the beginning and we're going to go all the way through and I'm going to give some people some phonetic tips. Like, for example, there's this one town, you probably remember it. It's after Lagroño, and I have yet to meet an American who can get this one right. Do you know which one I'm referring to? Uh, let me it starts think. with an N. Most people call it Najera. 
Oh, yeah. What is it? It's pronounced Nahera. So think about it. You, you know what a jalapeno is, right? Right. With a J. With a J. Nahera is with a J. You know, that's where the most beautiful sunsets, I mean, sunrise. I love it. That's how I remember that. Well, and you know what? That's what this, tra- this experience gives us is it gives us an impression of these sights and sounds and smells and feelings that you'll never, ever lose because you did it. My theory is you did it at the pace of walking. Yeah. So it's, it, it got on you <laughs> the best I can say. So say the name again. Nah, nah, hi. Nah, Hedda. Nah, Hedda. Nah, Hedda. Okay. Nah, Hedda. Because there is actually an accent on the A and you can see when you read it, you see it's got the accident, not the accident, the accent. So Nahera, you know, jalapeno. Right. And recognizing, yeah, that it's the J. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to hear a little bit more about what you said, how it's was the best experience of your life and the hardest. So You've talked about the best, some of the, some of both actually. And a lot of it was related to your faith journey and walking with Santiago on one side and your guardian angel on the other. And you knew that going in, you knew that you would be walking with St. James. And I remember you just being so excited about that. So I can see where that, that would certainly define this as one of the best experiences of your life. What else? made this the well, best. Well, one thing I do want to say that was like played with my little brain here is growing up, St. James to me was always the young fisherman and had the net and casting the net and being fishers of men. And that I, I really always identified with the young James. So in Spain, he is this, you know, magnificent disciple of Christ. And just even the way they have him dressed, it was like, no, I really want to see him more with his, his fishing line, <laughs> his nets. And, you know, so that was really kind of funny for me because I had a, my, the James that was on my right side was a young fisherman, you know, kind of thing. Gotcha. So meeting people and I, I felt really, really blessed in, in ways where names come easy for me and remembering names. Mm-hmm. So it was really, it was really funny. I, I, I didn't think anything of it at the time, but as the Camino was continuing and going on, I recognized, oh, other people are relying on me to know their name because I had a Camino family that I met about a week or two weeks into my Camino where Mimi uh, from Massachusetts and Joe, uh, another woman from Oklahoma, we just really hit it off. Uh, We were all at different paces, but we met up always for dinner. And then it reached a point where we would just try to get either a like stay together in a three room hostel, you know, I mean, three bed hostel, or just even in a dormitory, just making sure that we all were together. So we really were looking out for each other. Joe was, she is older than I am. And Mimi is younger than I am. And it was really, I will tell you when it really came to light was, this was kind of before we were even a Camino family, so to speak. I had had, uh, well, I'm going to talk about my accident, if that's okay. Yeah, do it. Okay. so. It was towards the end of the day, I probably had about mm, probably five kilometers to go to the next town we were going to. And I was walking with a couple gentlemen, one D.L. Franzo was from Virginia, Simon from Ireland, and another gal from Ireland, and a couple other English speakers. Uh, I don't remember knowing who they are, but we were all kind of together. We were coming off, coming out of the woods and coming into an area where there were, there was a bar and the bar is a great place to reconnect with 
pilgrims you haven't seen in a while, not to mention getting something to eat and drink and using the restroom. So I'm on this smooth concrete and I have my trekking poles and I am moving them from one hand to the next. So they really were almost in a class position together. And I felt a, a big rock under my foot that shouldn't have been there. And the next thing I knew, I fell to my right and I hit my head. I hit my entire right side and I started really, really bleeding. And I, as I was going down, I remember, and they even told me, I said this, please don't lose consciousness. You're conscious enough. I'm conscious enough to know that I don't lose it. Yeah. So they turn around because I'm actually behind them and they hear me yell and they turn around and they see the blood and, and everything. So one of the gentlemen is yelling, get toilet paper out of my backpack. Another guy says, I'm running. I'm going to go get ice and we need a taxi to take her somewhere because I knew at that point when I'm hearing this. Oh, this is really a doozy. I'm, I'm, it really must be a doozy. So they give me the toilet paper and I'm putting it up on my head and I'm seeing the blood just dripping and dripping and dripping. And it's face. And I'm like, you know, they said, can you get up? And I said, oh, yeah. Just so they helped me up. My backpack, I think, helped a little bit in cushioning some of it, but it also was probably one of the reasons I lost my balance because of the weight. Anyhow, uh, we're walking towards this bar. And of course, pilgrims that I know and, uh, you know, grew to love, are they're all seeing me coming in with this bloody face. And I'm embarrassed. And I, I have this vanity thing. And God is going to break me of this vanity. <laughs> <laughs> had you had this vanity thing? <laughs> I, yes, I, I still do. But man, was I humbled. So when Aldefonso was saying, Kathy, you've got a Mike Tyson going on. So my eye was closing shut, black and blue, bloody, everything. So this gentleman walks over and Simon comes back with ice. He says he called a taxi. And this gentleman from the UK, such a nice guy, drinking, drinking a full beer, almost finished with it. I have a car. Where can I take you? Mm. And Alfonso goes, you know what, Kathy, I speak fluent Spanish and I know you don't. Let me come with you and just make sure, you know. And then he looked up the urgent care or hospital, whatever. And off we went. I mean, it was that quick. And I got to the urgent care. They cleaned out my boo-boo and I had five stitches. Wow. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, that was a badge of honor. I exactly, exactly. (laughs) What was great was so now my eye, my right eye was now closing shut. It was so swollen and so black and blue. But I was a little worried about my hip because I have a hip issue and I fell on that side, but not to do a commercial or anything, but I had my otter box on my iPhone in my hip pocket. And when I fell, I fell on it. And not only did it not break my cell phone, it didn't break my hip, but I did have an amazing black and blue mark, the shape of my (laughs) iPhone. (laughs) So when I got to the hospital, they did this, they cleaned out, they did the stitches, they were making sure I wasn't like needed to follow any concussion protocol. Mm -hmm. And then they were making sure that my hip was okay. I really had, I really felt like, and I still do feel like I sprained my wrist and my arm because they were super, super sore and it was hard to manipulate. So I started to become concerned about using my trekking poles because I really use my trekking poles climbing and descending. But God is so good. Not only did he put all these angels in my path to immediately be taken care of, I was headed into the Maseta. Oh, perfect. My, my, my poles. 
And it was like uh, I was able to to rest my arm and really kind of my whole body because it was quite a fall. So then I would put on sunglasses and I could conceal my swollen eye, but then blood drains on your face and especially an old face like mine. So I reached a point where this eggplant color of black and blue, purple, was no longer concealable. Mm -hmm. So all day, every day, I, I got the look of horror when someone would see my face. It was like, what happened? And I would have to reassure them I'm fine. I did fall, but it was all day, every day. And those that got to know me leading up to that, what I appreciated was they would always comment, gosh, it's looking better. They were lying, but they were letting me feel. But this was the, this was the way I think God really used my Camino. I didn't, I wish this hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't have this bruise. I still have a little remnant of it. But what it did was it did allow me to have people inquire about, oh, what happened? And then we'd be washing our clothes in a tub and hanging them out to dry. And they would start to share a, a pain or a bruise that they have internally. You couldn't see it. But relating to me, you know, first out of curiosity, then there was some concern. And then just even opening up about what they're trying to figure out. And I just really felt, not that I had words of wisdom for them. I know that while we were talking, I was praying for them. Hmm. And a lot of times it was just giving them an opportunity to talk and just listen. And listen. Yeah. And bear witness. Mm -hmm. To the pain. Yeah. A lot of hurting people out there. And, and they have felt, many of them talked about how cathartic it has been walking this Camino, trying to sort out what's of me and what's of the world. And how do I, how do I, and that's something that I heard from a couple of people, you know, how, how do I make it jive? How do I uh, make sense of this? And I also saw, you know, like I said, a lot of really hurting people and people wanting to change things they have no control over. That, that was real. That was hard. That, that was, that was where I really leaned into Jesus. They need you mm. uh, and praying for them. Mm. Wow. It's so interesting when we're able to show a little bit of vulnerability it opens up a door for other people to feel safe to share theirs. You know, maybe that is exactly what was going on because as much as I, I did not want my fall to define my Camino, even though I ended up needing it, you know, I mean, talking about it every single day, but the way it defined it was an opportunity for physical hurt to help other people open up and just even talk about, you know, their internal hurt. Wow. I saw that as a, a real blessing. I really, so one of the things that you asked me was, you know, what was I hoping for? And I, I wanted to be a blessing to other people. Yeah. <laughs> More people were blessings to me. Are you sure about that? I'm not so sure. Well, and that's the other thing that I think is kind of funny, because if you remember, I told you that the other is I, I love to be the one to help. Mm -hmm. And I have a real tough time accepting help. But man, I have to, you had to. And you know, when you pray for something, God gives you that opportunity. And I remember saying to you, you know, there's a part of me that I don't really want to pray for this. But yes, I know. It means something, I'm going to need something. Mm -hmm. But God in his glory was so wonderful because I had stitches. They're in my eyebrow. You know, I didn't lose an eye. I didn't crack my face. I didn't break an arm or a leg and have to go home. I didn't mm -hmm. break my hip. And there were angels around me. That was not a coincidence. That yeah. was just so, I just think that was so 
that was maybe that was his plan for me. Mm. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe it was his plan. (laughs) (laughs) In hindsight, we can just say clearly that was on cue. I mean, that. I think you I, go. you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because when we talked the first time, you said that your greatest fears were being alone on the Meseta, which is where this happened, and getting injured. Yes. And having to go home. Now, mm-hmm. the Meseta, I loved. Oh, and tell me never, about that. And I never felt alone. I never felt alone. And I saw the beauty in it. You know, a lot of people were, you know, were saying, oh, I like to skip the Masada because it's so boring. I don't know. I kind of like not having a lot of hills and valleys, but I also just the vastness of the world just to me in and of itself was quite amazing. Mm. And yes, I did get hurt, but God provided, you know, so all my fears, while they may have, uh, some of them came true. I, uh, it turns out I really did love the Masada. Hmm. It wasn't my favorite part, but I did enjoy it. So what was your favorite part? My favorite part. So one morning, it was a beautiful morning. I have my ear pods in and I'm praying. I'm listening to some chanting music and I'm praying. And to the left of me, I see this smoke. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this beautiful landscape, beautiful, beautiful countryside. What is burning? Well, it wasn't, bur- it wasn't smoke. It was dust. The next thing I know, there are 100, 150 sheep crossing with border collies and a shepherd just crossing and crossing. And some of the sheep were fighting, I will tell you. But to me, you know, a city girl, so to speak, seeing all the livestock, seeing the sheep, hearing the cowbells. The mornings were my favorite, but the beautiful countryside. I mean, just even looking at a broken down fence in the backdrop of this green and animals behind it was just, it's the beauty that God has created all around you. And it's for me to to notice. Uh, And it just reflects back on the beauty that God has and love he has for us to have provided all this handiwork, all this amazing stuff. So I love the countryside. I loved walking through the woods, even if it was Mm -hmm. a steep climb, it was still, there was just some, I didn't like the, the animal droppings. I will say (laughs) that fragrance I, I, I could have lived without. Yeah, I would say that in terms of the walk itself, those were my favorite parts, the mornings, the countryside, but the people, the people were so much the Camino and the, just the, the respect. And I have to tell you one story. So, you know, there are people of all ages. I am hardly the oldest and decades older than I am doing it. And they're doing it their way. They may not be able to do all the descents and all, but they're, they're doing it their way. And I just have so much admiration for that, but I'm, I'm trudging up a hill and I, I wish I could remember exactly where I was, but this young man I met at a bar, maybe a week ago, his name is David and from Mexico. And he and I connected because he's been to the Dallas Fort Worth area for business. And he is, he comes up alongside and he goes, is that you, Kathy? And I turn around and, and we're walking and I'm kind of huffing and puffing and he's not. <laughs> and I've got my trucking pulse and he doesn't. But he says to me, he's so cute. He just turns to me and he goes, you inspire me every time I see you. And I said, oh, you're very kind. Because <laughs> it's like, I don't see this as being inspiration. And he goes, no, no. He said, I wanted to do this when I was 15, but I didn't have the courage. He goes, 20 years later, I'm 35 years old. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm in great shape. I work out. This is going to be a piece of cake. He goes, it's not. It's not a cakewalk. And he goes, then you're doing it. (laughs) So you are inspiring me because when it's hard for me, I'm thinking, Kathy, 
he's doing it. You know, he didn't say at her age, <laughs> which is probably what he was thinking. But the thing is, I, we would leapfrog over each other, you know, as we would go through the stages. Sometimes, I, you know, it'd be a week or so before I saw him again. But when I saw him, he always had a hug. He all, I wanted to adopt him because he is the... <laughs> but, I love it. But he, it, it was, I said to, to God, I said, if I could have my wish, really want to be able to see these people come through when I'm there. And David was one of them. And he was probably the one I was wanting to see most because he was so psyched <laughs> about completing. Great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. The connections that you make, the people you meet, the stories that you hear, and you're at the pace of walking where you're experiencing all these things I'll call it firsthand, but it's first sense, right? First sense is right in every way. And then this beautiful scenery. Mm. You know, I remember when we talked before, you said that you knew you needed to do your own Camino. Now that you've walked, what does that mean to you? Oh, my own Camino. What it means, if I were to give someone advice, it would be kind of what you said earlier, Walk at your own pace, prepare. I, I was stunned, honestly, the number of people that thought they were going to be walking by a river in a babbling brook and did not realize the depth and breadth of how hard the Camino can be. Okay. You can choose to take a taxi or you can choose to walk it. And maybe like uh, my Camino family, Joe couldn't do all the climbs and all the descents because her feet were killing her. I mean, she was having a real issue. So she took a taxi and it was like, you're still walking and be, be happy with that. So to me, don't sit in judgment of other people either walking faster or slower or made up or not made up. And because that was kind of some of the buzz on the Camino of, you know, you could tell people that were staying at a hotel because they came and they had all makeup and all that stuff. It was like, so what? So what? But honestly, I I, I didn't feel like there was a lot of judging. Uh, I mean, I didn't pay attention to it. Mm. But I think it it is important for me to do my own Camino. It was, I needed to make prayer a priority. And I had to do that before I left. And once I got there, because I decided that I wanted to walk my own pace. I wanted to pray intentionally. So what I did was I put every day that I was going to be walking the Camino on the calendar. And it's interesting because I left the uh, probably the last four days blank. And that was really more if I thought of someone that I hadn't thought of before I could pray for. But that's when I stopped my Camino. And that was that blew my mind. <laughs> so I mean, really, so. So every day I was either praying for someone or maybe even praying for a group of people. And I would, uh, would often let them know that I was praying for them. Not every time, but what I did was I tried to let people know before, if they asked me to pray for them, this is the day I have you on my calendar that I'm going to be praying. Oh, how lovely. And then you can virtually pray and I'm offering whatever is on your heart. That's what I'm offering. I'm offering any of the pain and suffering. And let me tell you, going up some of those hills, don't you know, I would pray Hail Marys. I'm Catholic. I would pray Hail Marys. And you get up and you would think you're almost to the top. <laughs> no, the Camino reveals more to go. So I Hail Mary the heck out of that hill, you know. I love that. So, so we, if we were to sum up your Camino, you prayed the way and you hail married the heck out of it. I the heck out of it. And I also, I feel like I conquered some fears doing it by myself. I mean, I was never alone, but the fact that I um, made a giant leap to, to do the traveling and the unknown was there. And then just really I just really placed all my trust in God. I felt like I did prepare physically, you know, emotionally. I wish if I could do it over again, 
uh, or when I do another Camino, I will ride a stationary bike because in Texas, while I did climb hills and preserves and that were little stairs or, or things that were challenging, to build up your quads to the degree I felt I, it might have been easier for me to climb the hill. I wish I had worked a stationary bike mm. for that. But other than that, I felt like I, I knew what I was in for. I'm glad that I reached out to people who had done the Camino because I felt very, very uh, mentally prepared. And then spiritually, I because that was such a focus to begin with, I, I came prepared and I stayed focused. You'd been doing that preparation for a while, if I remember correctly, your spiritual yeah. preparation. Yeah. Yeah, I've been praying since 2018 wow. for my Camino. Wow. I could show you my prayer journals. <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it. So you said something to me after you finished when we were corresponding that you had the feeling that your Camino has actually just begun now that you have completed it, completed the walk to Santiago. Will you share with me what that means? Yes. So this was so interesting to me and I'm still processing and understand, you know, I'm still processing. I think my hope was that I was going to be maybe a spiritual inspiration for other people. And that really, uh, there are a couple incidences that happen that are beautiful. And I, I swear are miracles, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I did not see that walking the Camino. What shocked me was with my blog or with my, my Facebook postings, the hundreds of people that were inspired and that the people that would comment about how open I am about my faith. To me, that was that when I came home, I really was feeling like there's more here. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. And the one thing that came to me in prayer recently was maybe, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm an executive coach and a life coach, but now I'm really thinking I, I may want to get a certification in spiritual direction. And that's something I'm really praying about. If that's really what God's showing me, but I didn't have a chance to read a lot of the comments on the Camino. So when I went back through, number one, I was stunned that some of these people, I, I, you know, I haven't seen in decades and decades. And they were so kind in saying, you know, you have inspired me. I've been following your journey. I have been praying for you. The number of people that prayed for me. I mean, I'm thinking it's all my prayers. It wasn't. Those angels were as a result of people praying for me mm -hmm. and can't believe you would do this on your own. And the other thing that I thought was interesting was my son said, you know, mom, none of us would have blamed you after your fall of you coming home or if any at any point, which brings me to just the way my family supported me on the Camino. If I can share, please. So my husband snuck this big manila folder into my backpack and it says to mom, and I could tell it was my teacher daughter, <laughs> but she's open one note each day of your Camino. We love you and miss you and hope you have an amazing trip. And then all the, you know, everyone signed it. Well, inside there were letters from two of my brothers. I ended up getting emails and text messages from the other two. I got a letter from my sister. All my children wrote me multiple letters, even my son-in-law my son's girlfriend and my husband, you know, wrote me some, some amazing letters. And if you don't mind, I'd love to share one from each of my kids. Yeah, let's hear it. I'd love to hear it. My oldest daughter and I are, I think oftentimes we're kind of cut from the same cloth. She did scripture. So okay. this one, she had, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, 9. And then she says, believe it, mom. And then a heart and Sarah. So 
I got a lot of these throughout the Camino. For those who can't see what you're holding up, Kathy's got a big, large size manila envelope that she read what was on there. And then inside were all these little notes and papers and things. And so she's holding up one that's probably the size of an index card, beautiful colored pen, beautiful handwriting with the scripture verse on it. So it sounds like there were a variety of things in that envelope. Yes. Yes. So my youngest daughter, very, very colorful. You wouldn't be shocked to know she has blue hair. I love my Jenna. Uh, and Jenna is one of the funniest people I know. In fact, when I fell, she uh, was messaging me and she goes, how did you fall? And I told her, and she said, oh, mom, you've got to come up with a better story. You are my hero. You <laughs> saved a baby from falling into stampeding llamas. <laughs> but anyhow, so her note to me was, you're such a remarkable woman, mom. This is a trip most people only dream of taking. And look at you, tired, sweaty, sitting in dirt, reading this and still smiling. <laughs> Who does this? Kathy Gatil does. Go get them, mom. I love you, Jenna. Mm -hmm. That's sweet. And then my son, uh, he actually typed a, a two-page letter, all oh, like one and a half pages. And I'm just going to read a portion of it. And then I'll explain why the, these were important to me. I want you to take a moment and reflect on all the things that could have derailed this trip from happening for you. You and your friend, you and your friend were getting set to go and COVID happened. When Europe opened back up, Miss Diane had a hiking accident and couldn't go anymore. You decided to go alone and people were worried you could have stopped then. When your hips started hurting you while you were preparing, you could have stopped. I'm proud of you for following through on this trip and taking such a large leap of faith that landed you exactly where you are reading this letter. Well, I do not know if you're at the beginning, middle, or end when you're reading this. I do know that this pilgrimage is not easy. And having this much time away from your creature comforts is so hard. So I want you to know that I am having the creature comforts for you. <laughs> I'm drinking wine, eating chocolate, and sleeping in the most comfy bed since you left. <laughs> it's a hard sacrifice for me uh, to make, but it's for you. But in all seriousness, I want you to know that I am so proud of you. And, and it goes on. But the thing that my, my daughters and uh, son said to me when I returned was, this is the first time we got to support you in something. And that you've been this big cheerleader for us, you're letting us cheer you on. So those people that are thinking, you know, can I do it? Why not try? There you go. You know, it's like, like Mother Teresa says, God's not looking for success. He's looking for us to try. Participation. Participation. Exactly. Yeah. The thing that really strikes me about what you've been sharing is how many people were touched by you walking the Camino. One person walking the Camino touched so many lives. Your family who got to support you and contribute to you the people you met on the trail who got to help you when you were vulnerable or have you witness their story because they felt safe and comfortable with you. And all those people who followed you, who have now dialed into something within themselves because mm -hmm. of what you did. Never thought of You, that. my friend, are a blessing. Oh. You did it. That you did. You know, I have to tell you that when you interviewed me, you made a comment that I can see you there. I can see you in Santiago looking at the cathedral. And that played in my head for, in terms of determination. Yes, I want to be in front of that, that cathedral and I want to you know, reach that, however that looks. And like I said, anyone that's listening to this, make it your Camino. Don't try to cookie cut. It's not a cookie cut, you know, can't be, it can't be, it can't be. And you, you know, like I said, if it's something you're even thinking about or flirting with, write it down 
and then really make a plan. I appreciate you letting me share my story. Well, you know, I think I mentioned I'm in Santiago right now. And when you just said, imagine yourself at the cathedral, I just like, I got to hold back tears because it's so incredibly moving to be in Santiago as pilgrims are arriving to complete their journeys. I mean, I could just sob just thinking about it. And I walked in two days ago from the, from my Camino walk. Yeah. And it's just, wow. Wow. To be a part of this community, to be a part of something that people have been doing for over a thousand years out of devotion to an idea that there's something holy here is extraordinary. And the statistics are crazy. There, it's, I think, 410,000 people have completed the pilgrimage and received the Compostela so far this year, and we're not even done. You're kidding me. This year? This year. It's October 21st while we're recording this. This is going to probably play in a few more weeks, or I'm not sure when it'll go live. But yeah, the last I saw was 407, and that was maybe yesterday or the day before. In the last year before the pandemic, 2019, I think, there were 347,000. So it's already way past the last biggest year. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because of COVID. Last year, St. James' feast day was on a Sunday, and that's yes. what made it a holy year. A holy year. But the Pope extending it because a lot of pilgrims weren't able to come in 2020, and that allowed me to come during a holy year for a, a Catholic or anyone going in the, the backside door. Yes. You're familiar with that? I did that in the spring. Wasn't that sweet? Oh, what, a, what an honor and what a significant moment. I have to see. I went to um, 7.30 mass the next day after I got to Santiago. And then I was, uh, I met up with my Camino buddies and had breakfast. And then we went to 9, 9.30, I think it was 9.30 mass. And they brought out the perfumery, or I forget what it's called. Yeah, the botafumero. Yeah, I knew you would say it well. Yeah. And for those who are listening who haven't been to Santiago, it's the big incense burner that weighs over 100 pounds and hangs from a rope from the ceiling. And they swing it at something like, I don't know, 70 kilometers an hour, just back and forth. Well, they, they have like five or six priests or brothers. I'm not really sure they're dressed in Santiago. In in robes. Yeah. Uh, In robes. Yes. And they pull on it. And then there's one person that just will pull it back to make it swing. And, you know, incense and the prayers that are going up from there is just extraordinary. 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 Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention, the door that that you mentioned, um, the uh, candle door. The holy door is opened only during the Jubilee or the the holy years. And I had such a picture in my mind of what a holy door would be like. It would be this big, heavy, double-paneled swing open, takes five guys to move it. It's not, I'm taller than the door. It's this little, tiny, unassuming, quiet, sweet little door. With, I think there are engravings around the lintel. I mean, it's just so sweet. Yeah. And you can, you queue up and you walk through it, and there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so exactly. sweet. It is. It was. Uh, yeah. It was quite. It was. It's uh, poignant, isn't it? It's a moment in history that you got to participate in. Yes. Ah, it's really special. Mm-hmm. So, one last question for you. Is there anything that you wish you had not known before you walked the Camino that somebody told you or you heard about or you were clued in on? That I wish I hadn't known that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I, I think my vision of the Masetta was incorrect from things people said or the way I interpreted what was said. Okay. One thing I do wish, well, I would say the pilgrims I came in contact with 
probably 79% of them spoke English. A lot of the proprietors and the bar owners and all, they don't speak English, not very well. So that's one thing I wish I had also done besides riding a stationary bike. I wish I had taken some Spanish, even just conversational Spanish. I mean, I did learn how to order a beer and coffee with milk. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Other than where's the lavatory or where's the water closet, you know? Yeah. That's really a good tip. And it's, it's, I find it's a sign of respect to your host country, but it also allows you to interact more with the local people. And some of these people who serve the pilgrims are just extraordinary. They are. And it's their life. And it's, (laughs) you know, some of the albergue owners just had such great pride. They, if they were serving you a breakfast or serving you a communal dinner, don't miss the communal dinners. I'm not saying I loved every, everything that was ever put in front of me, but I love the, the camaraderie. I love getting to know other people. I love getting excited to see them again. It's usually not about the food, is it? It's about the community, the sharing, the breaking of bread together. It, I mean, it's communion around the table, right? It's, yeah, it's exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. Communion and communities. I sense those are coming from the same root word. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so good. Well, what would you like to say to wrap this up? Uh, if you're flirting, even flirting with the idea and contact Nancy, she's <laughs> a wealth of, seriously, wealth of information a great cheerleader too, even along the road, ask questions. I can't even tell you the number of people that say, oh, that's on my bucket list. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so what are you doing about it? Yeah. Move it to the top and let's get going. But I think knowing people that have been through it and especially experts like yourself, it just saves, saves you from, I mean, I packed all the right stuff. There's not one thing I didn't use. Wow. I had a heads up on things that, you know, worried me or concerned me and alleviated my, my stress. You know, I was really worried about planes, trains, and automobiles getting to St. John until I talked to you. And then it was like, okay, this isn't easy, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. Definitely can be done. I mean, people do it all the time, right? Planes go there buses go there, trains go there every day. Yeah. So you just get on one. It's just a matter of knowing which one to get on. Exactly. Well, I wish, I don't wish this often, but if this were video rather than audio that our listeners are hearing, they would see how absolutely radiant you are. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, you've got that big smile and that glow and that twinkle in your eyes. It's all congratulations. You know, I just praise be God because, (laughs) you know, I trusted in him. I took a, I really took a leap of faith and I, I, I fully relied on him and he didn't let me down. Not wanting that, you know, yeah. Cause someone said to me, but you fell. I was like, Mm -hmm. I didn't go home. (laughs) You fell and a team of pilgrims swooped in to help you. I mean, they were, it's almost as if they were cued. They were in the wings waiting to come help you. Well, and I saw that just real quick. There was one of the women I was walking with from Australia and she was quite a bit older than I was. And she, man, the first couple of days, she was just whew, faster than me. Not that it mattered, but we, we were traveling together. And then one day, her backpack was just getting to be too much for her. And she ended up, I mean, several of us took things out of her backpack. And actually it was a couple from California that said, let's divide up some of her backpack. And then she carried some of it. Mm. Well, it still was not enough. So the husband carried her backpack about probably 10 kilometers and until we got her to where she was staying for the night and I had to go further, but that's the kind of kindness. That's the kind of camaraderie that, that you, it wasn't just me that experienced yeah. that, that generosity and that kindness. And 
Yeah, I really haven't talked much about my Camino family, but I just loved having Mimi and Joe to check in with and making sure we we just would make sure we're all okay. And that that was nice. We all were traveling solo. Mm. I think it's interesting too. Didn't you mention that you didn't meet them until a week or so in? Right. And I think there's this idea that, and maybe it comes from the movie, The Way, that you meet your Camino family right away and cue the family and there you are and you're all together and you go the whole way together, but you could meet your Camino family halfway through. You could meet them at any time. Exactly. What a surprise. It was, uh, it was really interesting. The number of people that wanted to be, it was like they wanted to be a part, but they had a different plan. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's okay. WhatsApp yeah. is great. This is where I am. Where are you? Let's go grab a beer. <laughs> yeah. And we stay connected with the people who we want to and are meant to stay connected with. Yeah. I'm still getting messages from people that I started with because they just got to Santiago. Wow. Yeah. So that's really, I think that's really, really cool. That's great. You are part of the community of pilgrims now I and am. always will be. I did it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just so happy for you. And oh, just, you. yeah, you. I, it's, it's not mine to be proud of you, but I am. I appreciate it. No, no. Like I said, even on the tough descents, if I had known about it, would I have done it? I don't know. But mm-hmm. now that done it. It's like, well, but I did it. You did it. And it's done. Well done. Well done, Pilgrim. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Kathy, thanks so much for spending this time with me. It's just always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, well, it's, I, I just hope we always stay connected. I really do. Count on it. Count on it. Who knows? Maybe my next Camino. (laughs) That'd be amazing. The people who I've interviewed for this first season of this podcast We've just missed, we've just missed everybody, but who knows? Cause I'm here twice a year. So the next time you're here. Well, and you do provide such a great service too. Mm, Thank you. I hope people are lucky to know you. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Well, enjoy Santiago. Okay. And go have ice cream. What was the name of the ice cream shop again? Bico de Chiedo. Yeah. They have the best ice cream and I'm not going <laughs> to like ice cream, but I love their ice cream. <laughs> so again, Kathy, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Really. Thank you. It was great to, to kind of do a retrospect. Look back and see where you've been. Yeah, exactly. Well done. Yeah. Don't forget to turn around. Well done. Always look behind you. Always look behind you. Yes. Would you like to share your experience of getting ready to walk the Camino de Santiago and receive some personalized guidance on your planning and preparations? If you have not yet walked a Camino and would like to be a guest on this podcast, please find the link in the notes for this show to let me know you're interested. If you'd like assistance getting started on your Camino journey, or if you would like to join me on the trail in May or September, visit thecaminoexperience.com to take your first steps. Bye for now.